RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 7, Bob Justman Memo to Gene Roddenberry, Soylent Green Story Idea, October 17th, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, background fans, canonistas, and yes, you Trekophiles spelled with an F. We've got a, a great little document today from the wonderful early formative weeks of The Next Generation in the fall of 1986, and another memo from the often undercredited and oftentimes overlooked Bob Justman. This one is one of the great uh, unclaimed pieces that he shared with me when I was working on the Next Generation Companion early on. Well, a major piece, major new piece of radical Next Generation era technology that um, Bob could cl- lay claim to, and in an interesting, uh, in an interesting way here, it grew far more than I think even he could have envisioned. And um, take a look, read along with us, and I'll be right back with today's guest. There should be a special area on board the Enterprise where a crew member can go to be psychically connected with his, her, or its home planet in an emotionally evocative connotation. People have a deep need to go home again, and it would be marvelous if our future technology could afford them this opportunity. Although in the original Soylent Green movie, Edward G. Robinson experienced Earth as beautiful as it used to be while he lay dying, we would not confine ourselves to such a situation, but would rather instead explore all the dramatic possibilities inherent therein. Well, you know, if you've listened to uh, my voice long enough the last few years or read my writing, I can never get enough of making sure succeeding generations of fans know exactly who Bob Justman is and what he accomplished on the original series and also in getting the next generation launched. And today's document is another testament to that. And it also is a wonderful springboard (laughs) in about two or three different directions. And who better to talk about it with me today? Once again, let's welcome back Dave Rossi. Longtime associate of Rick Berman during the Berman era, associate producer Enterprise, and uh, on the team that gave us uh, the original series Blu-ray remastered. So, Dave. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me back. Of course. And uh, this gets your mind whirling along, doesn't it? <laughs> Bob Justman at it again. <laughs> Uh, you know, here this is indicative of what uh, the types of things Bob did, though, right? I mean, uh, a lot of people don't really know his uh, input. He, he would write these memos, and they ended up often becoming um, solidified pieces of what this franchise became. And so, uh, this is an interesting. It's an interesting one. Well, and this at this point, October 1986, they had the, the think tank was just Gene. Bob, David Gerald, and uh, and um, uh, Eddie Milkus, right? And Dorothy Fontana wasn't even in the mix yet. But it was just the four of them uh, germinating what the next generation would be for a few weeks. So this is there's only a circle. You can see the CCs down there. He's got uh, Jeff Hayes at the at the studio also CC'd in here. Um, Great, yeah. and, and Milkus and, and David Gerald, yeah. yes, and uh, and David Gerald, and. You know, things like uh, families aboard, which people have criticized later, but if you see The Next Generation as a reaction away from, a pendulum swing away from what the original series was, and 20 years to critique it, captains shouldn't beam down on away right. missions, right? Um, why, 
why make uh, families, why make career officers make a choice about family the way we do today? They should be able to take their families along. Okay, well, they can be spirited out of danger if there's a battle, if they, if they need to be. I mean, all those kinds of things, Bob, Bob was behind a lot Absolutely, of yeah. And here's another one, the holodeck. Now, to be honest, um, if you read the making of Star Trek from second season of the original series, Stephen Whitfield, Poe, and Gene co-wrote, and then look at even the Franz Joseph Schnabelt, uh, Enterprise Blueprint, the beloved Enterprise Blueprints. They're a little hollow viewers, and, hollow, right. and holography was supposed to be a thing if they'd had the budget or maybe a few more years, you know, amortization, they could have done it on an original series. Well, it's a great uh, it's a great device to not only do what Bob is suggesting here in the memo, which is giving you know our our various crew members a chance to go back to their home planets or whatever, but it's also it solves the problem of time travel if you need to. It mm-hmm. solves the problem of going into fantasy worlds. It solves the problem you know you can you can be as silly or as uh, as dire as you'd like simply by creating an environment. You know that it, it, it opens up an entirely new area of storytelling. Uh, of course, you can lean on it too heavily as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I was going to say, yes, people, if you need a romp or you need an escape for your audience or for your actors, you know, your crew, then it gives you that. What's always funny to me is another one of those critiques I think David Gerald was behind and they would all agree with was, you know, the original series, the transporter broke down way too often. That was a, too much of a, spring, a cheap springboard into drama and, uh, and so it's like, well, let's not have a basic piece of technology break down so often. Agreed. Transporters never break down now. <laughs> oh, let's invent this new thing <laughs> that can break down. <laughs> well, it's a it's a, a touchy piece of technology, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a Mikey finicky thing. Oh, wait, what wrong generation? Yeah. Well, in fact, this second paragraph, he says, look, you could do this. You could, you could have, do this episode. You could do this. He's, well, look here. The second paragraph, he gives out a for instance, and it's the plot of, um, uh, well, it could be 1100-1001. It could be um, the first Dixon Hill episode, The Big Goodbye, with, yeah. with Wesley filling in here for the uh, brilliant young science officer, young acting science officer. Right, but this is it's interesting because this is the kind of stuff Bob did. It wasn't just that he would say, we need a place for the characters to go where this happens. He would also be thoughtful about it. He would uh, take it to a, uh, you know, down a road that, that you could grasp onto it. And, and a lot of this, you know, ends up in the show. You know, and I also want to say much to his, uh, to me, the legend of Bob is so much of that he did contribute and then didn't get, he, you know, whole story idea, whether they were formally pitched or just as, as major paragraphs here that we recognize now um, and not getting credit for it. Yeah, so exactly. On the story side especially. Exactly. Story side. I agree. So I'm glad we we could um, point that out once again. Another, another interesting thing here just historically is the first thing that that little gang of four did to sit down was, was to get themselves up to speed on what current sci-fi looked like. And they screened Aliens, Macha Hernandez, which became Tassiar, came out of... Uh, Jeanette Goldstein's character, the the tough little Latina sergeant uh-huh. in Aliens yep. too, uh, or Aliens, Aliens, um, yeah. Uh, and they Soylent Green was one of the movies that they had uh, screened, so that was fresh on their mind here, where they're talking about the holographic uh, scene there, Edward G. Robinson. And it also, you know, uh, the what came out of the holodeck were some interesting characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the characters that you could revisit and bring back whenever you wanted. It was uh, uh, in a lot of ways it. it you didn't. It didn't have to be, uh, 
somebody as great as the Moriarty character, character you you could have also had uh, a lot of Harry Mudd characters come in. I mean, just through the through the the machinations of the holodeck, it could have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and I think those early those early instincts on the original series, the the wish list that they didn't get to, but it's recorded in the making of Star Trek from the '60s. It's recorded French Joseph was that holography would be the way to revisit, to overcome homesickness right. out in the vastness of space on the edge of the frontier. And some, and maybe some training, like we see Tasha do with the, the Aikido moves <laughs> that, that turn on the local leaders of... of uh, Right, <laughs> <laughs> code of honor, but and, the, you know, but it's, it's some, it could be so much more, and they, and then Dixon Hill actually finally explodes that what that could be. Oh yeah, and those were those were all great and great to revisit in First Contact. I mean, when they go back and create right. those characters, you right. know, similar characters, or you can use it for something as simple as uh, data learning humor. <laughs> <laughs> go over to Griffith Park, comic. and uh, oh yes, 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 yes. Joe Piscopo, who You're made right. his first uh, debut at, at the Vegas Con recently. Well, and but then, yeah, we do get into, as they did with the transporter, that's why it's so ironic. We got into holodeck abuse there a little bit, a story abuse. Absolutely. Um, in several instances. But it was interesting by the time of, it's like DS9 and Voyager took it in two different ways. First, that Voyager decided that was one thing they had to have, even stranded out in the Delta Quadrant. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but they, I don't think they really employed the holiday. It was it was totally a vehicle to get to another place. Whether yes. it was Sandrine, the escapist for the folks who really, really were on the frontier. Sand- Although, you know, Captain Proton, the final, was a skitzy program that they were trapped That's in. That's true. They You're finally right. did succumb. I was going to say, Janeway had her gothic novel, uh, Sandrine's, and Fairhaven. All right. were more vehicles for the characters. But yes, they, they had to do at least one. Brian Fuller, there you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> DS9, you know, Ira and Ron were so, you know, anti-technobabble from the beginning. They just really wanted to keep a lid on all of that. And they did, you know, with um, with our man Bashir, very famously, got into a holodeck mess, but it was a very logical holodeck mess. Right. They actually saved their crewmates by creating a holodeck mess when the runabout. And what's the... What's the only buffer big enough to contain all those actual human being patterns was the holodeck. Yeah. I mean, it was a great conceit. Sure. Bob Gillen, one-time assistant script coordinator. That's right. <laughs> sold that story. So, you know, they would always say, okay, so we had one holodeck, one hol- you know, hollow suites grew up on DS9, but it made sense. It made sense. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was an incredible piece of storytelling. And then um, and all the prequels since have toyed with, when do we, how soon do we get into, there was even a, a quasi-holodeck story with alien holodeck technology on Enterprise. Yes, it's one of the first that. ones, and I, I think that's jumping to it too quickly. I mean, it's, uh, you don't necessarily need it now, but look what, you know, on Discovery, mm-hmm. they lay the seeds for it just in how they're talking to admirals and, and you know, across subspace. But there's a training there's a training hologram, holographic. Exactly. Yes. It's okay. You can have advanced holographic if it's for something as boring as training. <laughs> You're okay to do it there. Yeah. Right. Not quite the holodeck. It's the hollow pad or the, the hollow something. <laughs> the hollow hall. <laughs> whatever it was. The cone of hollow. <laughs> <laughs> if you're firing phasers, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's, you know, so a memo like this and why it's good to get this out of the Trek files is, yes, it pays homage to, to Bob. It gives him credit for where credit is due. 
And although people at times have bemoaned the holodeck when it's been abused by writers, you know, as you as happens when you're in the crunch of writing, it's given us so many great springboards. We wouldn't have had Captain Proton and Dixon Hill and, and right. all the rest. Yeah, yeah, had it I not agree. Been for that, yes. So good on you, Bob. Good on you, Soylent Green, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, thanks, Dave, for for uh, dropping by to talk once again about a piece of. Uh, the Trek Files. Thank us. you so much. This is uh, always always fun to do. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents, go look for them, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. That's me at LarryNemacek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.